Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 177 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach at Flexbooker. We'll have a puzzle over some UK police data which was hacked and then has gone missing. We then travelled to Worcestershire in the UK and details of a data breach at De Montfort School in Evesham. And then we have a ruling from the UK Appeal Court, which is going to affect anyone using Patreon. We then travelled to California, where prosecutors have filed additional charges against the former Uber chief of security. And then to Manhattan, where Morgan Stanley has offered a settlement to data breach victims. And then to Illinois, where Navistar has had a data breach affecting employee data. And then to Maryland, where American Paul has had a data breach. And then to Brussels, where the EU Commission has pushed back on the idea put forward by several data protection agencies across Europe of having a centralised regulator. And then back to the USA, where the New York Attorney General has identified millions of compromised accounts. And then to Wisconsin, where mobile network US Cellular has had a data breach. And then to Rhode Island, where it's been announced that the Attorney General in Rhode Island is to investigate the data breach we mentioned last week at the Rhode Island Passenger Transport Authority. And then finally, we travel to Oldham, where McMenins has suffered a data breach. So as usual, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at ggpowerweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Wash your hands, keep your social distance, wear your mask, stay safe. We begin this week with news of a data breach at cloud-based scheduling platform Flexbooker, who suffered a large data breach recently that appears to have affected some 3.7 million people. If you're a Flexbooker user, you really should change your password urgently as the data is already being made available on the dark web. And so your risk of a phishing attack from this data breach is high. Flexbooker sells an online scheduling tool that assists with setting up meetings, reservations and appointments. And its website shows its main clients are an assortment of small businesses, including gyms, barbers, doctors, dentists, nail salons, mechanics and others. It's understood that the data breach began with a denial of service attack which disrupted the company's operations this stage before Christmas. In a statement, Flexbooker said, We've been alerted through monitoring analytics that we're experiencing a massive deep denial of service attack, DDoS attack. This is causing widespread outages of our core application functionality. We are working with AWS, as Amazon Web Services, now to remedy the situation and cut the attack off as quickly as possible. The company later revealed an email to users that some personal data had been compromised as a result of an incident. According to Have I Been Pawned, the number of people affected is 3,756,794. The site further states that the compromised information includes names, phone numbers, email addresses, passwords, and in some cases, partial credit card information. It's understood that the stolen information is now available for sale on the dark web from a body calling themselves UA Wrong Team. If we have any update from Flexbooker, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club 
and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. Mystery surrounds quite what's happened to some stolen data from UK police forces. The stolen data from UK police had been posted on and then removed from the dark web by a Russian hacking group called CLOP. It's understood that Russian hacking group CLOP launched a supply chain attack against IT services provider Daycoal, a company that handles access to the police national computer, a database containing information about millions of people in the UK. It's understood that CLOP issued a ransom demand and the ransom demand was refused. And so after that refusal, CLOP posted the information, reportedly including close-up images of drivers recording by uh, automatic number plate recognition cameras from the breach on a dark website. But this has since been removed, leading experts to suspect that either swift action has been taken by UK security forces or that the gang itself may have had second thoughts about selling such sensitive information. The attack, first reported on the 19th of December, saw Scottish IT services provider Daycoal systems infiltrated by a phishing link. The attack appears to be a supply chain attack similar to those of Kaiser MSP and SolarWinds. Supply chain attacks have spiked in popularity in the cybercrime world alongside ransomware attacks. According to a report released by software development platform Sonatype, cyber attacks against software supply chain targets exploiting weaknesses in open source ecosystems surged by 650% year on year in 2021. Major supply chain attacks in the year many of which we've featured here on the GPR Weekly Show, include the Celion, SolarWinds, Mindcast, Trick Studios, Fujitsu and Microsoft itself. Klopp posted a statement along with the data indicating their annoyance at Daycoal for not cooperating with ransomware negotiations. They said, There are certain times when even we get caught by surprise when a company is lack so much brain power to follow simple instructions. Instead of joining chat, you email like sky is shaking, then you decide to publish your secret chat on the internet and make sure all media and their mummies join chat. Now the result of your incompetent IT and lack of brain cell result in you being famous. Daycoal confirmed the attack in a statement to the Daily Mail newspaper, but declined to say how large the ransom demand had been. The fact that the data stolen from Daycoal now appears to have completely vanished from the dark web would suggest one of two options. Either Klopp has sold it on to another body in the dark web, which is of course possible, but it's thought the more likely option is that the UK law enforcement agencies, together with GCHQ, have probably acted to seize this data and take it out of the public domain. Perhaps not surprisingly, when we approached the UK security forces for a statement, they refused, which is not unusual in situations like this where there is really sensitive data involved. If we do receive any update from them, we would, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To Worcestershire now, and a mix-up at a school caused parents to receive COVID-19 test results for other people's children. The data breach reported by the Eastman Journal occurred at co-educational secondary school and sixth form college, the De Montfort School in Evesham, which is part of the Four Stones Multi-Academy Trust. As required by the government, after coming back from the Christmas holiday, students returning to learning underwent asymptomatic testing for the coronavirus at the school on Tuesday. In a security incident ascribed to human error, some students' test results were sent to the wrong parents and guardians. Ninth grade student Amelia Fountain was among the children affected by the data breach. Fountain's mother, Becky, learned of the security breach not through the school, but via the parent of another student. I'm not very happy, Becky Fountain told the Eveson Journal. It was another parent that told me she'd received my daughter's result. This is a serious breach of personal data. 
The head teacher at De Montfort School, Bruce Allen, confirmed that the data breach had taken place while the test results were being uploaded to the school's network. Allen said the incident involved the personal data of only a small number of students. The school's coronavirus testing process has been successful due to cooperation of students and teaching staff. In line with government guidance, on Tuesday, January the 4th, the school facilitated asymptomatic testing for our students following the Christmas break, she said. Testing for students was completed quickly and without fuss, thanks to our excellent team of testers and the goodwill of our students, who now are testing down to a fine art. This meant that all students were back in face-to-face lessons on Wednesday. She added, unfortunately, while uploading results, a data breach occurred that affected a small number of students. Alan said the data breach has been investigated internally, according to the regulations laid out in the Four Stones Multi-Academy Trust Data Protection Policy, and that the security incident was reported to the Information Commissioner's Office. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An important court ruling for anyone using Patreon this week from the UK Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal has ruled that companies anywhere in the world that offer Patreon subscriptions in pounds sterling are subject to UK GDPR. The decision, part of an ongoing lawsuit between an Israeli-British man and a US news publisher that allegedly libelled him in the series of stories published in 2020, is likely to have far-reaching and potentially unintended consequences. In the case between Jules and Walter Soriano of Forensic News LLC, Lord Justice Warby ruled that the EU's General Data Protection Regulation applied to Forensic because the company's Patreon page allowed sign-ups in sterling and euros. The judge said this showed Forensic was established inside the company subject to GDPR. The offer and acceptance of subscriptions in those local currencies is arguably a real and effective activity that is oriented towards the UK and the EU, the judge said. Forensic had just three Patreon subscriptions in sterling, whereas some 85% of its $50,000 income over 18 months came through the sign-up site. At the time of writing, the company's Patreon page offered basic subs at £4 in sterling, that's $5.36 a month, or £46, $61.73 a month, for well-heeled people wanting to buy a branded hoodie and early access to upcoming stories. Soriano had appealed against the previous High Court ruling that prevented him from suing forensic under data protection laws. Mr Justice Jay found in January 2021 that Soriano's lawyers were far short of proving forensic could be sued under GDPR. Overturning the lower court's decision, Lord Justice Warby observed, the key issue under Article 3, Paragraph 1, as I see it, is whether the creation and use of the Patreon subscription facility demonstrates stable arrangements. Stable arrangements in EU data protection law means a business targets the region and posts the EU citizens' personal data, as explained by London law firm Bird & Bird. The Court of Appeal held that forensic offering Patreon subscriptions in sterling and euros was not enough to cross the low bar for EU law to apply. English talks were ruling whether EU GDPR applied here because forensic stories were published before Brexit took effect on the 31st of December 2020. Judge Warby, who was judging the case alongside Lady Justice Lang and Dame Victoria Sharp, President of the Queen's Bench of the High Court, seems to have realised he's opened a large can of worms. As these issues will, so it seems, need further and definitive consideration in this case, it seems to me that the Information Commissioner should be invited to consider intervening to assist the court, he said in judgment. We've asked the ICO, the Information Commission Office, whether it's intending to take up Judge Warby's offer, but they've not come back to us as we go to broadcast. If we do hear back from the ICO on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of GDPR Weekly Show. But we would add that this ruling has really significant implications, because what it means is that if you're a US-based company and you have a checkout which offers payment in either euros or sterling, 
denied that EU or UK GDPR as appropriate, or possibly even both, is going to apply to everything that you do. If you are a US-based organisation and you need help understanding this ruling or in implementing this ruling, then please do get in touch with us using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To California in the USA now and prosecutors have filed additional charges against the former Uber security chief over 2016 data breach and subsequent cover-up. Additional charges have been added to the indictment against the former Uber chief security officer over his latest involvement in a cover-up of a hack against the ride-hailing app in 2016. Wire fraud has joined a list of charges pending against Joseph Sullivan, 52, of Palo Alto, California, over his latest concealment of a 2016 attack that exposed 57 million users and 600,000 driver records. The latest charges handed down in the superseding indictment returned by a federal grand jury add to previous charges of obstruction of justice and misprison of a felony. Unauthorised attackers obtained access to personal details of 57 million Uber users and the driving licence information around 600,000 Uber drivers in October 2016. The sensitive data was downloaded from a third-party cloud provider's storage bucket and accessed by abusing credentials that an Uber engineer had inadvertently posted on a code-sharing website. According to prosecutors, Sullivan made a deal with the criminal hashers to keep quiet about the breach and delete the purloined data they held in exchange for a payment of US dollars in Bitcoin to individuals who refused to offer their true names. The two individuals involved were subsequently identified, arrested, charged and convicted over attacks on LinkedIn and Uber. Sullivan allegedly complied with the extortion demand for payment while disguising it as a bug bounty payment and getting the hatches to make false statements as part of the fraudulent non-disclosure agreements. As the US Department of Justice points out, bug bounties exist to spur the legitimate delivery and reporting of security issues rather than to cover the exchange of compromised data. Californian law requires businesses operating in the state to notify residents about data breaches. The allegations of wire fraud arose from Sullivan's alleged attempt to defraud Uber's drivers by failing to disclose the 2016 breach. According to prosecutors, the non-disclosure agreements falsely stated that the hackers had neither taken nor stored Uber data. In addition, Sullivan sent an email to Uber's then-recently appointed chief executive that characterised the affair as a routine security incident rather than a data breach. When hacks like this occur, state law requires notice to victims, acting U.S. Attorney Stephanie Hines said in a U.S. Department of Justice statement on the latest development in this case. Federal law also requires truthful answers to official government inquiries. The indictment alleges that Sullivan failed to do either. We allege that Sullivan falsified documents to avoid the obligation to notify victims and hid the severity of a serious data breach from the FTC, all to enrich Uber, Hines added. Sullivan is charged with three counts of wire fraud, obstruction of justice and misprision of a felony. The wire fraud charges carry a higher maximum period of imprisonment than the other offences. Sullivan's arrangement on the new charges is yet to be scheduled and no plea has yet been entered. When there is a further update on this case, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Witcher Show. Wash your hands, keep your social distance, wear your mask, stay safe. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember that back in episode 152, we reported a data breach at Morgan Stanley. Well, this week, Morgan Stanley agreed to pay $60 million US dollars to settle a class action suit by consumers claiming the firm had failed to safeguard their personal information. The agreement, which has to be approved by a federal judge in Manhattan, would resolve claims over two security breaches that compromised personal information of 15 million current and former clients, according to a group of them that sued Morgan Stanley in July 2020. 
The customers claimed the information was stored in data centers that were shut down and on computer servers in branch locations that were replaced. Data stored on decommissioned data center equipment included customers' social security numbers and birth dates, which weren't fully wiped clean when the equipment went missing. A software flaw left data on the old servers in unencrypted form, it's claimed. In a statement, Morgan Stanley said we have previously notified all potentially impacted clients regarding these matters, which occurred several years ago, and are pleased to be resolving this related litigation. The parties announced in November that they had reached a settlement in principle without disclosing details. Morgan Stanley continues to deny the claims, according to a court filing on Friday seeking approval for the settlement. US District Judge Annalisa Torres must sign off the deal before it can take effect. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. In August 2021, Navistar Incorporated experienced a data breach involving the company's benefit plans. In September the 21st, 2021, Navistar publicly announced that an unauthorised party may have accessed sensitive information belonging to more than 60,000 current and former employees. The information may have included affected parties' full names, addresses, dates of birth and information related to their participation in the plan, such as information identifying certain of their providers and prescriptions. Unlike other data breaches, Navistar was able to confirm that the information was not only accessible, but had been accessed and removed by the third party. Navistar says that it has written to everyone affected, and if you receive a data breach letter from Navistar, be sure to take the necessary steps to protect yourself. In this case, as it affects employees, it's worth pointing out that employers have an obligation to protect employees' personal, identifying and financial information in their possession. If an employer mishandles employee data, affected employees can pursue a data breach lawsuit against the company. At this point, it's not known if any employees are planning to launch a legal claim against Navistar. Navistar employees are recommended to read the data breach letter from Navistar in its entirety to determine what information was compromised, keep a copy of the letter for their records, take advantage of the free credit monitoring service provided by Navistar Incorporated, log into all their online accounts and change the passwords, regularly check their bank account and credit report for any signs of suspicious activity, fraud or identity theft, contact one of the major credit bureaus and request that they add a fraud alert to their account and notify their banks and credit card companies of the data breach. Navistar is a North American holding company that owns and operates the international brand of trucks. Navistar also manufactures school buses and diesel engines. Navistar is headquartered in Lille, Illinois and currently has about 13,000 employees. The company operates over 1,000 dealer outlets in 90 countries around the world. Earlier this year, Navistar became a wholly owned subsidiary of Trayton, which is part of the Volkswagen Group. It's understood that the data breach occurred on or before May the 20th, 2021, and the information was accessible until August the 20th, 2021. American Pool Enterprises have issued a news release indicating that some files stored on the company's network that contain sensitive consumer information may have been accessed by an unauthorised third party. The company expects the recent data breach to impact nearly 60,000 consumers. It's understood that on September 27, 2021, American Pool released a data breach announcement to all affected individuals explaining that compromised information includes the names, addresses and social security numbers of affected consumers. Data breaches such as the one reported by American Pool Enterprises pose a serious risk of identity theft and other financial losses to anyone whose data has been breached. 
Founded in 1984, American Pool Enterprises is one of the largest swimming pool companies in the United States. American Pool manages, maintains and builds commercial swimming pools and recreational facilities. The company operates in 16 states and the District of Columbia through 26 wholly owned subsidiaries. A publicly traded company that provides customer experience, services, technology and related services. In total, American Pool serves more than 3,000 commercial swimming pools and over 9,400 residential pools. In a statement... American Pool said that on August the 1st, 2021, the company realised it could not access certain files on its network. Upon discovery of the incident, American Pool enlisted the assistance of computer forensic specialists who determined that the affected files may have been accessed by an unauthorised third party. While the investigation is ongoing, American Pool believes that the unauthorised party had access to the files between July the 31st, 2021 and August the 1st, 2021. After reviewing the compromised files, American Pool determined that the files contained the names, addresses and social security numbers of 59,749 individuals. As always, if you receive any update from American Pool, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the Weekly Show, you'll know that other European data protection agencies have sometimes expressed their frustration at the lack of speed with which the Irish Data Protection Authority is dealing with data breaches from Facebook and others. However, this week, Justice Commissioner Didier Reinders pushed back at requests from those other data protection authorities to have a more centralised investigation body saying it is too early to assess whether the cooperation mechanism at the basis of enforcement of EU's privacy rules is functioning correctly. Ranger stated his view in a reply to an open letter on the 6th of December, which had been co-signed by Dutch MEPs Sophie Intveld and Tineke Strich and German Brigitte Sippel and Cornelia Ernst. If no action is taken soon to dramatically improve enforcement of the EU flagship policy, the GDPR risks becoming a paper tiger, the MEPs wrote asking the EU executive whether it considered the EU privacy law was applied correctly in Ireland. In its reply, the Commission said, We have not so far identified issues with the Irish data protection rules or have evidence that these rules have not been respected, pointing to a recent case that saw the Irish DPC issue a €225 million fine against WhatsApp. The latest spat relates to a series of documents published by NOYB, a non-government organisation led by activist Matt Srems, that challenged the legal basis Facebook uses to process personal data based on a contract rather than user consent. For SREMS, the internal documents showed that Facebook and the DPC had developed a contract legal basis to bypass user consent requirements. In addition, NOYB accused the Irish Authority of lobbying in favour of the social networking giant in the context of the guidelines developed by the European Data Protection Board, DDPB, a body that gathers all EU data protection authorities. While establishing the EDPB, the legislature provided that the very purpose of the consistency mechanism is to allow an open discussion and transparent and honest exchange of different points of view on how GDPR should be interpreted, Rangers responded. Rangers stressed that it's not for the Commission to intervene or start an infringement procedure based on opinions expressed during such exchanges, even less so on a complex matter such as a contractual basis where different views have been articulated. Moreover, Rangers added that the Commission did not hesitate to initiate an infringement procedure to defend GDPR in the past, mentioning cases in Belgium, Poland and Hungary, but the caution of the Irish regulator in its different point of view did not meet the necessary conditions. Johnny Ryan, a senior fellow at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, said that the Commission's unspoken position appears to be that it is duty only to monitor the independence of supervisory authorities and nothing else. 
that's not a viable position. Rangers also contested the statistics mentioned by the MEPs, arguing that they were based on a misinterpretation of statistics used by EDPB. The EU lawmakers referred to a study of the ICCL, which indicated that the Irish Privacy Watchdog only delivered a draft decision for 2% of its cross-border cases. The Commission noticed that amicable settlements, a practice widely used and within the scope of GDPR, can lead to a case being closed without a formal decision. However, in the letter of 14th of December, the ICCL already dismissed that argument, pointing to the fact that the data was from the Internal Market and Information System, where cases can be marked as closed or withdrawn. The IMI case register appears to be the only union-wide source of data about each supervisory authority's case backlog. If its data is deficient, then the Commission cannot fulfil its duty to effectively monitor the application of GDPR, the ICCL argued. The point on data availability is an important one. In November, ICCL filed a formal complaint before the European Ombudsman accusing the Commission of failing to monitor the enforcement of GDPR. While the EU executive has discretion on launching an infringement procedure as a guardian of the treaties, it cannot abstain from overseeing that EU law is being applied adequately. Doubtless this case will roll on and we will bring you further updates in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com Back to the United States now, and the New York Attorney General has flagged that 1.1 million online accounts have been compromised by credential stuffing attacks. The customer accounts at 17 well-known businesses were compromised by credential stuffing attacks, an investigation by the New York State Office of the Attorney General has found. The office said that all the affected organisations, which include online retailers, restaurant chains and food delivery services, implemented remedial measures upon being notified, such as alerting affected individuals and resetting passwords. The company's only investigation subsequently revealed that most of the attacks had not previously been detected. Credential stuffing attacks use specialised software to stuff, at high velocity, thousands or millions of usernames and password combinations gleaned from data breach dumps into sign-in pages. Also called a password reuse attack, the mostly automated technique is both comparatively simple, and since around two and three internet users use the same login details across multiple online accounts, highly effective. After hijacking online accounts, attackers can then steal victims' identities and potentially bypass more stringent authentication processes implemented by banks and other custodians of assets. During an investigation lasting several months, the Office of the Attorney General's Bureau of Internet and Technology monitored several online cybercrime communities dedicated to credential stuffing. The Bureau compiled credentials that attackers had successfully compromised using the account takeover technique after trawling thousands of posts. Affected organisations were then helped to determine how existing safeguards had been circumvented and given recommendations for preventing reoccurrence. Nearly all of the 17 affected companies have since implemented or devised plans to implement additional safeguards. New York Attorney General Letitia James said, Right now there are more than 15 billion stolen credentials being circulated across the internet as users' personal information is standing in jeopardy. Businesses have the responsibility to take appropriate action to protect their customers' online accounts. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. To Wisconsin now and US Cellular who describe themselves as the fourth largest wireless carrier in the US, has disclosed a data breach after the company's billing system was hacked in December 2021. 
The mobile carrier said in a data breach notification letter sent to 405 impacted individuals that the attackers also ported some of the affected customer numbers using personal information stolen in the incident. The carrier explained on December 13, 2021, US Cellular detected a data security incident in which unauthorised individuals illegally accessed our billing system and gained access to wireless customer accounts that contained personal information. Unauthorised individuals attempted to leverage access to that information to fraudulently port numbers. Based on our investigation, we believe the incident occurred between December 13 and the 19th, 2021. After hacking into US Cellular's CRM system, the attackers could also view customers' account information, including their phone numbers and addresses. Information in customer accounts includes names, addresses, PIN codes and cellular telephone numbers, as well as information about wireless services, including their service plan, usage and billing statements, US Cellular said. Sensitive personal information, such as social security number and credit card information, is masked within the CRM system. At this time, we have no indication there has been any unauthorised access to your US Cellular online user account. While US Cellular did not confirm if any of its employees' accounts were compromised in the security breach, the company reset an undisclosed number of retail store login employee credentials. The mobile carrier also reset impacted customers' security questions, answers and personal identification numbers, PIN numbers linked to their accounts. Upon discovery of the incident, US Cellular immediately disconnected the computer access by the unauthorised individuals from the internet and requested immediate removal from the internet of the fraudulent websites used by the fraudsters as part of the scheme, US Cellular said. Impacted US Cellular customers are advised to be on the lookout for targeted phishing scams using personal information stolen from the company's CRM systems. This is a second data breach that has hit US Cellular in 2021 after hackers were also able to gain access to the CRM software in January of 2021. If we receive any update from US Cellular, we will to bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Last week here on the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you news about the data breach at the Rhode Island Public Transport Authority. Well, this week it's emerged that the data breach is going to be investigated by the state's Attorney General. Just to remind you that the data breach involved the personal health information of thousands of individuals, which occurred when RIPTA, the Rhode Island Public Transport Authority, was attacked by cyber criminals in the summer of 2021. RIPTA reported the data breach to the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights as affecting 5,015 individuals who are members of the Transport Authority's group house plan. Suspicious activity was identified on RIPTA's computer network on August 5th, 2021, and according to a breach notice posted on the authority's website, blocked the same day. Digital forensic evidence of the cybercrime revealed that parts of RIPTA's network have been accessible to an unknown threat actor since August 3rd, 2021. After reviewing what data the threat actor had been able to access, Ripta determined that files containing the personal information of health plan members were stored in the compromised areas of the network and these files had been exfiltrated in the cyber attack. Data stored in the exfiltrated files included health plan members' names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, Medicare ID numbers, qualification information, health plan ID numbers and claimed information. According to a document sent to state employees by the Department of Administration on Wednesday, some of the personal health information exfiltrated in the attack had been incorrectly shared with RIPTA by the state's previous health insurance provider, United Healthcare. RIPTA Senior Executive Courtney Marciano said that the personal health information of individuals with no connection to RIPTA had been sent to Transport Authority in error by United Healthcare. RIPTA has since switched its insurance provider to Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island. 
Rhode Island Attorney General Peter Narona stated his intention to investigate the data breach to the Providence Journal. Narona's probe will determine whether any state laws have been violated, such as the Identity Theft Protection Act of 2015. It's possible that the Attorney General may also investigate United Healthcare over the seemingly impermissible disclosure of state employees' private health information to RIPTA. Whenever we get an update on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the Digital Weekly Show. To origin now, and a cyber attack on the American hospitality chain McMenamins may have exposed data belonging to its current and former employees. McMenamins, which owns and operates brew pubs, breweries, music venues, historic hotels and theatre pubs in Oregon and Washington, issued a data breach notice after suffering a ransomware attack. Suspicious activity was identified on the company's computer network on December 12, 2021. As soon as we realised what was happening, we blocked access to our systems to contain the attack that day, McMenamin said. It appears that cybercriminals gained access to the company systems beginning on December 7 and through the launch of the ransomware attack on December 12. The company went on to say that the installation of malicious software on its computer systems prevented staff from accessing company files and data. An investigation into the security incident has determined that the perpetrators stole certain business records, including payroll data and human resource files, for at least some individuals who worked for McMenamins between January 1, 1998 and June 30, 2010. McMenamins said in a statement, We have not been able to recover these files or contact information for these previous employees. Out of an abundance of caution, and for the purposes of providing a notice and credit monitoring support, we are assuming that all previous employees during that time period were potentially affected. The unidentified ransomware gang behind the attack also stole human resource files containing personal data for individuals employed by McMenamins between July 1, 2010 and December 12, 2021. The affected files potentially contained employees' names, addresses, telephone numbers, email addresses, dates of birth, race, ethnicity, gender, disability status, medical notes, performance and disciplinary notes, social security numbers, health insurance plan elections, income amounts, and retirement contribution amounts. McMenamins said it is working with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and an experienced cybersecurity investigation firm to gauge the full extent of the attack, restore its systems, and improve its security. The company said that identity theft and credit monitoring and protection services are being provided free of charge to all current and previous employees of McMenamins who worked for the company between January 1, 1998 and December 12, 2021. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.